Good evening. Today is Monday, Thursday. Monday comes from a Latin word, mandatum, and it means commandment. And in Christian tradition, this day was established to remind us of the commandment Jesus gave his disciples to love one another, even as I have loved you. But tonight we focus on another commandment given by Jesus in this passage, and that is the commandment to do this in remembrance of me, the command to participate in the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Tonight's text, we see that it's a strange commandment, is it not? Of all the things Jesus could have pressed on his disciples on this night, why this one? After all, this is the night that he's going to be sold out by one of his own. He's going to be abandoned by his other friends, arrested, subjected to humiliation and a personal assault in a kangaroo court before the high priest. And after that, he's going to be beaten by a Roman guard, forced to carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem and then be nailed to that cross in the brutal ways of Roman justice. Luke points all of this as a very perfect storm that comes together around this supper this night. In verse 2, we read about the plot to, to have Jesus killed among the, by the religious leaders. And then in verses 3 through 6, we see that there's a bigger actor behind that plot. We see Satan himself, who has entered into the heart of Judas and is working to, with Judas to conspire for Jesus' death. And then later on, right after our reading this evening, we find out that the disciples, after Jesus has told them about the, the fact that someone at the table is going to betray them, they start arguing with themselves about which one of them is the greatest. And then if that wasn't enough, in verses 31 through 34, Jesus reveals that Satan's conspiracy has spread like a cancer into his inner circle. They will be sifted like wheat, he says. And then he turns to Peter himself and he says, maybe his closest friend, he says that Peter will disavow his allegiance to Jesus in the worst moment possible. It is a perfect storm. The Satan, betrayal, petty infighting, and execution. And yet, it's in the midst of this storm that Jesus wants to have this supper with these men. It's hard to imagine what it was like for him. Imagine that it was your wedding day, one of the most important days of your life. And you wake up that morning only to find out that the two fathers-in-law got into a fist fight the night before about who was going to spend which Christmas they were going to stay at. And the two mothers-in-law aren't speaking to each other because of you know, dispute over seating arrangements. And worst of all, imagine that you got word that your best friend, one of the wedding party, made a pass at your fiancé last night. Well, it was much worse for Jesus. But this is a storm that he faces. Far more tragic. He knows all the details of this storm that's about to descend on him. He's known about it for days, weeks, months, even years. He's anticipated this moment. And still, he wants to host this meal with his disciples and to impress upon them to do this in remembrance of me. Notice how important it is to him. If you look on the front of your worship guide, you'll see this statement of his, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The Greek here is very strong. Jesus is saying, I have earnestly, earnestly in my heart of hearts longed for this moment to have this meal with you all. It's the most important thing for him to do with his disciples before all of hell is unleashed. But how can a meal be so important to his mission? 
Is he just worried that maybe he needs to leave some sort of religious ceremony behind? Maybe he wants to be sure that we remember him after he's gone, like a father on his deathbed says, please, please don't forget me. No, the Eucharist is far more than a sentimental memorial to remind us about what an amazing person Jesus is or how much we admire him. For some reason, Jesus sees this meal as playing a pivotal role in the spread of his kingdom once he is murdered and raised to life. Why else would he not take time for this tonight? To understand the centrality of the Eucharist in Jesus' kingdom, it might help us to recognize two important things about the ways he intended his kingdom to be spread and lived out. One was through a living, breathing community that embodies a new social order that is the social order of God's kingdom. That's the church. But also that that would happen through the practice of a kind of outrageous hospitality to a lost and dying world. And in Luke, this outrageous hospitality is shown over and over again through meals throughout his gospel. Meals that involve rich, poor, educated, simple, black, white, Republican, Democrat. They join together in a meal hosted by Jesus himself. So this means that in the Eucharist, we aren't just play acting at the kingdom of God. We are actually living it out in real time. And we do this, as we do this, we're equipped then to go live and act out the kingdom of God in our homes, our relationships, in our neighbors, neighborhoods. So Luke shows us four ways that I want to emphasize this evening about how we experience and learn kingdom life by taking part in the Eucharist. The first is that the Eucharist nourishes us for kingdom life. Jesus says in verses 19 and 20, he says, this is my body given for you. This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood given for you. In some mysterious way, in the Eucharist, Jesus feeds us with the food that we most need. His blood begins to course through our veins. His flesh begins to make up the fabric of our bodies. And we learn to walk as he would walk in this world. The second thing that happens for us in the Eucharist is that it deepens our connection to God. When you come to the table this evening, know this, the veil has been pulled back. Heaven has entered into this place and Jesus is here and he offers you himself. And as he does that, he shows you the commitment and the depth of his commitment to you because he points to his sacrifice and gives it to you. This is my body given for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Paul reminds us of this assurance that we can get when we see this great gift, this great sacrifice of Jesus, when he says in Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So, when we come to the Eucharist, we deepen our connection with God because He shows us and demonstrates us and feeds us with His own sacrifice. But also, we return His gracious gift when we reaffirm our own commitment to Him. The third thing that happens for us when we take the Eucharist is that we get to practice embracing one another. 
Imagine a family meal. A family meal doesn't work like everybody rushes to the table, grabs their food, and goes off to their corner so they can sit quietly by themselves and think about things. No, a family meal is meant to be done together. We do it together. And we do it sometimes with people that we don't particularly like to be with. That is the nature of a family meal. Look at Jesus' guests. In verse 23, they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. When Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, it's not saying, they're looking at themselves saying, I wonder if it's me. They're looking at each other and saying, I wonder if it's you. And this leads them to begin to contest one another, remind one another the failings that they've had and how they, I am the one who will probably have the more prominent place in God's kingdom. Patrick O'Brien is a famous Irish author who wrote a series of novels about the British Navy during the Napoleonic Wars. They're terrific stories. And uh, one of them was made into a movie, Master and Commander. And he makes some very wonderful observations about human nature through the characters in these stories. And one of them is one that really struck me many years ago. He says, much, I discovered that much of human interaction is poisoned by the assertion of moral ascendancy. That is, our relationships are often poisoned by a belief deep down inside of us that I am better than you. I am moral. You are less moral or immoral. For Joe and I, when we saw this, it was an epiphany for us. We realized that our marriage often, our, our, our arguments would devolve into hurt feelings and wounds, and we realized often those wounds came because one or the other of us was asserting moral ascendancy over the other. It's gotten to the point now that if I kind of get on my high horse with Joetta, she'll just kind of break a half smile, and I'll pause and I'll go, oh yeah, I am so glad that I have finally achieved moral ascendancy over you. <laughs> so how does Jesus address this? The apostles struggling for supremacy over one another. In verse 27, he points to the meal. He points to this meal and he says, through the meal, you need to see what's going on here. He says, who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one that serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Of course, it's the one who sits and everybody brings things to them. Jesus says, no, no, no. But I am among you as the one who serves. He's the only one in the room who can honestly say to them, you are so immoral and I am so moral. But what does he do? He says, let's put that aside. Let's stop grasping for your moral ascendancy over one another. Come to my table. Let me serve you. Accept one another. Serve one another. And then the fourth thing that we can experience when we take the Eucharist is a new relationship with time. Much of the world views time with fear. A fear of the future. What might happen. And a fear of the past, that what has happened has somehow locked me into a destiny that is going to be destructive. But the Eucharist shows us that time is not a threat. It holds a promise. In verses 15 and 16, when Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, then he goes on to say, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Here he is facing the horrors of the next several hours, and he is not uh, 
blind to that, nor untouched by it. And yet he looks beyond it and knows that there is a great end to all of this. So when we take the Eucharist, we are called to look to the future and to remember that we are tasting a small sample of a great banquet that we'll enjoy when all of creation is restored. But it's not just about all of creation. It's about you and it's about me. In verses 31 to 34, later than our reading this, this evening, Jesus comes to the disciples and he, and he singles out Simon. He says, Behold Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And that when you have returned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. It's a sad scene for sure. But did you catch the bright beam of hope in the middle of it? Even as Jesus cites Peter's impending failure, he says, when you have turned again. Jesus does not look at our lives as snapshots of our worst moments. He looks at our lives in the whole, and he is committed to the redemption of our lives. So when we take the Eucharist, we remember that Jesus knows we're only dust. We are weak, and we are prone to failure. But he will not abandon us. He will work in us to restore and change us. So I said earlier that the Eucharist, when we take it, we don't just play act at the kingdom of God. We live it in real time. And that's why Jesus is so fervently desirous to have this meal with his disciples and why he so fervently desires to have it with you and I this evening. So, think about those parts of your life, those corners where you find it hard to believe that God's kingdom will ever show up. Come to this table. Enter into the presence of Christ. Let him whisper in your ear of his love for you and hear his voice of assurance that yes, he indeed will bring all his promises to pass.